The only Mike Myers I have I was allowed to watch was Shrek. <laughs> Donkey! So, yeah, that's it. Donkey! I remember watching that and they he calls him an ass. And I remember being as a young person being like, oh my god. This is an animated movie. What are they doing? Dude, I keep off of the trash on your shoes, wipe your Welcome back to the John Chi Show. It's your boys, KJ, Nathan, Patrick. Uh, so fast. We are here. How are you doing, fellas? I was like, this is how we start. And then I was like, wait, now what? But how, yeah, how are you doing? Cordial hellos. I'm doing good. There's no snow on the ground. So that Should feels there good. Be? There was two days ago. Oh, wow. That's and gross. it's going to be 80 degrees tomorrow or the next day. So. Yeah, it was 30 when I took my kid to school and it was 66 when we left. At, at uh, yeah, just the, a little while ago, it's so. just got into the forties before we hopped on here. I know I lived in the Midwest for a long time, but now that I'm back in Texas, I forget that it's cold still in other places. <laughs> <laughs> well, it shouldn't be. I mean, yeah. no, even it here, it should not be, but for some reason, it is. Well, we all know the reasons, but <laughs> yeah, yeah thanks, Obama. Cooling. <laughs> Sorry, wait. I, don't know. I think that's more of an Al Gore. Thanks, Al oh, Gore. Oh, thanks. Thanks for thanks, letting us Clinton. know what's happening. Yeah, thanks for alerting us. Thanks for us letting us know the, the truth. The Jeez. <laughs> that we have created ourselves. I don't know how to pause. Anyway, this is a John Chi show. <laughs> yes. Uh, John Chi means to feast or to celebrate, uh, which is what we're here to do, to talk about our intersectional identities and to celebrate who we are and also feast on a snack or drink. Can you feast on drinks? I always wonder that, but I'm going to say yes. Well, yes, because that one can had rice in it, so you're kind of chewing. <laughs> Ew, gross. <laughs> That is, that's true. <laughs> that's so gross. I feel like we've almost exclusively had chunky liquids to drink, which is, that's a rough time. I don't that's know funny. what it is about Koreans and chunky liquids, but not a big fan, personally. There's probably something to it that we just don't know yet. Some Dude, layer. Speaking, speaking about chunky liquids, this is not a great <laughs> perfect segue, of- but I, uh, for Easter, had one of those like small kind of airplane level bottles of wine thing it was like a mm. you know whatever mm-hmm. Merlot and I single poured it serving out. Yeah, yeah 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 so i poured it out drank it and then at the bottom there were like grounds in it and i was like wine doesn't have grounds what is this my it's sister-in-law told sediment. me it was sugar yeah and i was just like this is disgusting but i didn't know Ew. that that existed in the bottom of those things mm-hmm. or even in in wine bottles necessarily shows you how cultured i am but anyways but, it was really yeah, gross good one uh, well, and... no, old wine actually. So it's just sediment, and a lot of times you see people put wine in a decanter, and then the decanter, oh, yeah. the stuff stays at the bottom while you pour everything else out. Yeah, it's real gross. So it's okay. anyways, it won't kill you. I it was a great glass until I got to the end, and I was like, oh nope. <laughs> That's how I feel about <laughs> ginger beer sometimes. Like when I'm eating, like drinking ginger beer, some ginger beers actually have like sediment at the bottom of those too, and I always get a little weirded out when I get to the bottom 
um because it's like as patrick would say murky and uh, <laughs> i haven't said that in a long time <laughs> that's language you gave us i think so i got we'll always attributed that, to you so. <laughs> I have not brought it back up. <laughs> I'm never defining a lake or pond as murky again. Only my drinks. Thank you, oh, Patrick. Wow. My drinks. All right. You're welcome for that. <laughs> Solid. Well, hey, we've got a really great interview today with our guest, Mindy Sonas Choi. Um, what was something that you took away that you remember that you're excited about to hear back uh, in this in this tape? She was just had a lot of really good information that's my take <laughs> i don't want to spoil it so i'm just giving that's everyone not my... even a tease of what the information was no just, no okay. it was just so, good information uh, <laughs> i met her first on instagram and so uh that's where i uh, uh learned about her her advocacy and uh, um, uh very important content so there's my teaser nice yeah i <laughs> nice. totally forgot that part of your story and i was like oh this is the person who did the stuff to yeah. make the stuff happen where you did the things and yeah yeah during the interview like... i saw that light bulb go on right as we were doing the thing <laughs> i saw it right pop up right above your head it was really yeah perfect timing you sometimes you got to flip the switch on you know i just sometimes i spend so much time connecting things that other things get disconnected and then they got, it got reconnected. So yeah, no, I thought it makes sense. I think Mindy Mindy talks good. She she's a <laughs> very a good. good good talker, and uh, <laughs> I just found her story to be so compelling. Um, yeah, it was it was just really engaging, and we didn't even talk about all the things we wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. So no, yeah, I think that's the thing on. that I remember the most is like I feel like we ran we we got to the end of our time very yeah. quickly, yeah. and I was just. And you'll hear me. You'll you'll hear me talk about it a bunch at the end of the, the interview. Um, I took away, and of course, I edited this episode. Um, just the language, like you said, Blacks. she's very very well spoken, <laughs> very articulate, and mm -hmm. she brought new language to the conversation that I've been having. And um, I felt like a lot of her story um, I resonated with, and I thought there were a lot of parallels to my own story. So. Yeah, I thought it was a, an excellent conversation um, and, one and we a need great to addition. Yeah, one yeah. that we will definitely continue and definitely <laughs> a great addition to um, our library of incredible guests who have come on. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Without right. further ado, <laughs> here show. is that tape. Roll it. Hooray! Hey. Um, okay, welcome back to the John Chi Show. Uh, this is our interview with the one and only Mindy Sonas Choi. Hooray! <laughs> I added that in because I felt like it should be, you know, it's like sometimes I'll be like, oh, we're so excited to have you, but it's just like three of us screaming into a vacuum and there's not like, you know, whatever. Anyways, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. I'm super happy to be here with you guys. Thanks so much for having me. We are very excited to have you on the show. I was just informed that my waveform is, quote, huge. So <laughs> hopefully everything is going to be fine in the recording, but I can't fix it now. Oh, I got to edit this too. Now. Yeah, you do. You are coming in so hot. Yep. You're welcome. Anyways, um, <laughs> Mindy, just a little sneak peek behind the curtain. It's been a while, I feel like, since we been a while. have done oh, God. <laughs> done. Uh, a, a, a show i don't know it's probably just not even been that long but i've i'm just transitioning into 
into show mode. Um, let's <laughs> kick this off like we do all of our guest um, shows, Mindy. And would you tell us your adoption story uh, in as much or as little detail as you want? The floor and story is yours. Wow. Okay. Well, I think like, I feel like now, like my adoption story is pretty much my whole life. Like, I feel like I'm living it still. I'm still trying to figure it all out. But as far as like going back to the beginning, (laughs) as far as I know, I was born in Daegu, South Korea, and that's where I was relinquished. And in my file and what my adoptive parents had been told at the time was that I was left at the door, the gate of an orphanage in Daegu and was taken in and stayed there for a bit. And I was adopted from there. And then the orphanage had burned down. Whoa. Um, and I was about 10 months old when I came to the States. Um, I was met my parents actually at JFK airport in New York city. They drove out from Boston, which was where they were living in the Boston suburban area and where I grew up. Um, and that's sort of the very beginning And I think like as as far as a childhood, you know, very typically for transracial adoptees, you know, living in communities that are primarily white, you know, a family that's entirely white and, you know, neighborhoods, everything that just look nothing like you. But as far as like family life and school and things like that, things were pretty idyllic. I mean, it was like, a Boston suburb that we were, you know, a middle upper class family. I had access to, you know, lots of fun things as kids and a really great little town that had a great center and, you know, friends. And I did pretty well in school. Um, But that's like on one side. And I feel like this is like the truth of so much of my adoption story that I'm still living is that there's always a duality. And what you see on the outside is really not what's going on on the inside ever. Um, And I feel like from the very beginning, that was my experience. But of course, as a child, I had no language for that. Like I had no idea what I was experiencing, like this disparity of like, oh my God, you have this really great life and these great adoptive parents. And I have a brother who's younger, who is their biological son. And we had a good good relationship, still do. Um, And just like always feeling like really unsettled and not understanding why. And of course, just like, I think because of the culture we live in, we just attribute it to ourselves. Like there's something wrong with me. Like mm-hmm. I'm broken or <laughs> I can't adapt or just, and and I think it's also, you know, what I found growing up and like seeking support as an adoptee, especially as like someone who was kind of on the cusp of the first wave adoptions where I didn't grow up in the age of the internet. Um, and so had no resources. Yay, no, right? You know, internet encyclopedia. But it's a real disparity, I think, you know, in comparison to adoptees who, you know, came over like in the 80s. But, you know, for us, I was born in, in 72 and I was adopted that same year. Like, 
the only experience I had with other adoptees was if, you know, my parents took me to an adoptee event or a cultural camp or something, which we didn't have a lot of that out here in the Boston area, at least not that I was aware of and not that I really experienced. Um, I did have friends with this one family who they had like, I think like six adoptee siblings. It was a huge adoptee family very, very early on. And then um, I think either they moved away or my parent, our parents just lost touch and we didn't see each other, but really no experience at all with any adoptees until much, much, much later in life. So like, I really like lived this dual existence of like, seemingly everything was great. Like I was good student. I, I was, did athletics. I was a cheerleader. I had friends. I went to parties. Like I did all the normal things that I thought I was supposed to do. Um, and just, but was always like feeling like something was missing. And when I went away to college, like I completely fell apart. And I think it was really like, I finally had the space to like really fall apart. Like there was, there was not that pressure to like conform and like be this person who I thought I was supposed to be. But then also, you know, there weren't any structures or social (laughs) systems in place to like keep things, you know, the way they were going. It was such a big transition and change in my life. And it was the first time in my life without my family. So, um, and it was like really a time when I was really sort of confronted with, um, you know, I think a depression that was like simmering for a long time that I just couldn't name. I didn't know it was depression. Um, It didn't look like depression. Um, But what it looked like was like, I, uh, even though I had a lot of friends and had a, you know, a, a regular, you know, quote unquote, normal social life, like inside, I was just like, really not feeling like I fit in or that things were well, like, it was, it's such a hard thing to describe, and I'm sure you and maybe other folks listening might be able to really relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, thank you for sharing this portion of your story so far. It was really, um, I was enraptured, I will say. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to you speak about it because I resonated with a lot, uh, especially you're talking about growing up in an upper middle class family um, in an idyllic situation, really, when people think about the good adoption narrative, they could look at my story and say, here's an example. Um, But I also resonated with, I didn't have the language to articulate what I was feeling while I was growing up in that situation. Um, And you talked about when you got to college, you said college was a space for you to fall apart. Like it was a space for you to uh, 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 like confront that depression or feel that for the very first time. And I love that. I've never heard it spoken that way before that kind of metaphor used. And it really resonated with me because I felt the exact same way. Um, And when I got to college, it really was like everything that I knew was crumbling apart. And what I did was to, and to piece it back together, I felt like I was, I had to fall apart even more than that because to address it, I started to go, I like try to go back to my comfort zone, moved closer to home, transferred schools, did that sort of thing. So I was wondering, you know, as you were reaching that point, and I think this might have been where we were going in the next part of your story was kind of how did you start to put those pieces back together? I think I really struggled with that for a long time. Like it wasn't a clear path for sure. 
Like what I was absolutely sure of at that point was one, I didn't belong in college. Like I wasn't emotionally ready, socially ready. I wasn't, um, I didn't thrive in institutions. Like I knew that just, this wasn't going to be the box that I could like live in. Mm -hmm. And I also knew that like, that was sort of the expectation. And so again, this like constant duality of like who we're supposed to be as adoptees and just as people in general and who I felt like and thought or was trying to figure out was on the inside didn't match up. So for me, it was a really wandering path. You know, the decision to leave college was took years. Like I tried going back again and again and again, and I continued to fail. And again, I would just internalize that as like, there's something wrong with me. I'm a terrible person. And, you know, knowing also that like, I was always a good student. It wasn't an issue with school, but it was just, it was a barrier that just, it wasn't working. And to admit that that wasn't working and to really like, say, you know, Mindy, it's time for you to step off this path. It took a long time and it took a lot of, I had to build up like a bravery muscle in order to do it because it wasn't what people expected. And it wasn't, um, there was no like answer of like, okay, if you're not going to do this, then here's your path, right? There's (laughs) no other, um, you know, clear set of ways we do things. It's, you know, you go to, you go to college, you get married, you have children, you get a job and that's, that's the order of operations. And so to like really bump up against that in the beginning and be like, I am now on my own path was terrifying. Um, but I think in some ways it also like put me in this mindset of like, all right, like it's up to me. Like I've got to figure this out And I've got to like, also like figure out how to deal with my own mental health, which that was in and of itself super complicated because every intersection within the therapeutic and clinical setting was with white people. And I really looking back now, had I had a therapist of color or even a therapist who was white, who understood structural racism and just racism in general. And if they had said to me, you know, Mindy, part of why you're struggling in your life is because you're, you know, an Asian person growing up in a white world. That would have turned on the light bulb for me in so many different ways and would have explained so many confrontations, interactions, you know, terrible experiences in a way that I could have like started putting the pieces together, but I didn't even have, you know, that until again, much, much, much later, mm-hmm. like without resources, without, um, you know, different people in my life to navigate. So it was just a matter of trying different things and like working different jobs and experiencing different um, life experiences and like knowing what I didn't like and how the things I didn't, that didn't fit in with me. That was really more how I put the pieces together was like, all right, this is not for me. Okay. This is not for me. Right. <laughs> okay, this addition is not by for subtraction. Me. Like exactly, you're just kind of, yeah. yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, and I do just want to really quickly say that hearing you go to your college situation, literally that felt like ripped out of like my lived experience because wow. I yeah, did the same thing. How dare you steal his life experience I went, like that? <laughs> I went to college and it just never felt right. And I left and I kept going back. I went back like multiple times and just failed each time. And again, a new piece of language. You said you had to build up a bravery muscle. And I love that because I think I am right now 
building that muscle up to finally tell myself that, hey, it's okay if you don't do this. Because I've even been saying more frequently recently, I'm like a really upset that I didn't graduate from college. And like, I really want I'm thinking about going back and doing all these things. And like, I just wanted to say that hearing you say that, and talk about building that muscle up and, and taking the obviously taking the time uh, just really clicked with me. That might have been a light bulb for me. So thank you. Oh, and I appreciate you like mirroring that back to me because I think that was such a lonely experience. Like I really felt so isolated and having to make that decision. And I'm sure there are plenty of people who go to college and end up not staying in college. But I think, you know, intersectionally with everything that I was going through as a, you know, transracial adoptee and having not given, been given the tools to like figure out that that was a huge part of what was going on for me. Like it really validates, you know, my own experience to hear that you went through that as well. So I really appreciate that. Well, and I think too, it's like, it's such a, for lack of a better term, I'm sure it's out there, but it's just such like a, a upper middle-class white, point of view and pathway that it, yes. I mean, pathway to highway, really, you know, and it's only now in the past couple of years, three or four, maybe that I've started hearing, like, do you really need to go to college? Because all of these students are coming out with huge amounts of debt. They're not paying off until they're 40, 50, you know, and like and trying to, to build their lives and do these things. And so like, for me, like my niece who is 19, um, she hasn't gone to college and like, she's like taking some time to figure it out. Cause she has recognized that like, that's not for her and that's not necessarily her path, you know? And so like, there's other things like just being 19 year old, <laughs> like that she has to get through, but you know, like, and to, to be aware of the time in which you were going through that path where like the, option quote unquote uh certainly the stigma around not going to college would have been greater so like the the option to like well i don't i could just go to a trade school and apply myself there and make similar amounts of monies without the college debt or i could go to you know like all those things obviously college debt was a little bit different too but like you know just like and and even hearing you talk about discovering who you are by trying a bunch of things and not figuring that out and and the presence of mind to be like you know what that's not for me i think is really wonderful and i'm i'm curious uh, and actually, I'd love for you to, to dig into this. And it's something that we don't typically do on the show. But um, like, what was that particular process like? Because I think when you're an adoptee, and you're, you're realizing you're coming up against this, like, I don't have a, cl- a cute name for it. Like for Asians, there's like the, the bamboo ceiling, but you know, women, there's a glass ceiling, but like, whatever the adoptee ceiling is, whatever this yeah. fluffy <laughs> cloud fog of adoption that we just keep bumping up against that we don't know is there, like, you know, like it could just feel so frustrating, but what was that process for you trying all these things and, and, and getting to the point of realization where you're like, no, this actually isn't for me. I'm going to try something else. For me, it was so intertwined with my mental health journey. Like mm-hmm. it was always a constant push and pull of like being like highly functional, but depressed and like out in the world, like doing my thing. Um, or just like really depressed, which oh those my aren't gosh, two, I feel those, that so hard. <laughs> those aren't two good. Those aren't two modes to operate in well at all. And I feel like I still struggle with that today. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just had turned fifty, and so it's like, which is why I really believe that like our adoption stories are really like our whole life story. But it was for me, it was a constant play of like trying to figure out how to manage my mental health, which again, I had no language or understanding or context of like how to talk about adoptee things until 
I was in my early 30s and I read um, Journey of the Adopted Self. It was the first time I had ever picked up a book about adoption um, and even really like thought more critically about my adoption. Like I think in the back of my mind, I had always thought that like, it had something to do with my adoption, but I always framed it as like, oh, here I am, the one who's like the not well-adjusted adoptee or whatever other, those other clinical labels that were given, right? Where they put the onus on the adoptee to Mm -hmm. be well-adjusted or whatever. Um, And in the back of that book, there were references and resources. And one of the resources was a a clinical, um, sort of uh, thera- a suite of therapists that were very local to me. And I was like, oh, I wonder what would happen if I went to see a therapist who actually understood adoptees. Wow. <laughs> I still and feel like those are unicorns. I don't, I don't total know. unicorns. Yeah. And I was like, in the timing, I was just really lucky um, that I was sort of like open to that possibility at that point. Because, you know, had it been maybe five years late earlier, I probably wouldn't have been. I would, I would have probably still been in that sort of mindset of like, oh, this, this doesn't really have to do with my adoption. This is just like me, like not being able to figure out my life. Right. But at that point, I was like, hmm, I was a little more open to the idea of like exploring that as a possibility. Because, you know, the narrative you're always told growing up is that, you know, this is wonderful. This is like our family story. It's like it's real, true family mythology and like how my parents had always told it, you know. It's that whole like savior story of like you were in that in the orphanage that burned down and we saved you. And, you know, in a way that wasn't meant to be harmful, but that is like really harmful. Mm -hmm. So it was really that that point forward where um, I started doing that whole like two steps forward, three steps back dance of like trying to dig into my whole adoption um, history and you know, thinking about doing birth search and all of that, all sort of like intertwined with me trying to figure out who I am as a human being, which, you know, my art and creativity really was sort of the thing that saved me because not only was I not on a straight and narrow path of like, here I'm in college and I'm going to go to this job. Now I'm just like really trying to figure out what are my interests? What are my strengths? What do I like to do? And, and for me, I, I move through the world as a creative person. That's how I experience myself in the world. That's how I express myself in the world and connect with others. So that was really the thing, the vehicle that sort of was in addition to sort of like a really strong sense of social justice from the beginning, Um, even though, you know, I would never have identified myself as an activist way back when, but I definitely, I think as transracial adoptees, we might have, like an extra eye towards like seeing the gaps. And I definitely always like felt those gaps of where like people weren't included or, or systems weren't fair or things like that. And always kind of had a little bit of like a righteous edge around (laughs) those types of things (laughs) where I could like lean into. But um, yeah, there was no, there was no quick and easy solution. It was so much fumbling. It was so much trying different things. It was so much like being a chameleon in the world and like Mm. trying on different people and personas. And, and I think as adoptees, we often are really good at that. Like we can blend really well in a lot of different spaces. And I found that was true for me. And 
which I think makes it even harder to really identify like, who am I? Right. (laughs) But it was a very slow process of unpacking that I think probably in earnest, I didn't really get to the meat of um, really doing that until probably like my mid thirties into my Mm -hmm. forties. Yeah, I uh, I definitely resonate with that uh, statement of being a chameleon because I think from for my college career too, I, I I always just did want to fit in and I always wanted to be part of uh you know the group that I was associated with and at the time you know for me and uh, was the fraternity and you know so I was just doing the same thing that fraternity yeah, man, guys. I thought you were going to say your ping pong squad. Yeah, the <laughs> ping pong squad. Well, no, that would actually have been more on the Asian side, right? I was actually yeah. leaning into it at that point. <laughs> But, uh, um, but yeah, no, I mean, in the fraternity, it was, you know, uh, I was the only Asian in in my fraternity and, um, until the very end when they got one more, um, right as I was leaving, it was like the token (laughs) Asian in the fraternity, um, which is funny because I just saw a picture of their current class this year in, in, uh, spring of 2022 and they had three or four, at least, um, you know, minorities in the group out, out of uh, 40. And I was like, okay, good. Now we're up to 10%. But that, that's... In 30 years, up 10%. Woo! Great. Woo! Hey, not 30 years. I'm not that old. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. I forgot. It's okay. Oh. Patrick doesn't know how to math. Yeah, he doesn't math. <laughs> not a math guy. It's okay. But um, but no, I, I did. I always wanted to just fit in with whatever current thing. And that was hard for me to then come out of what I really was or what I wanted to be or what I, I should be. I think because I was always trying to fit those, uh, those other narratives and not my own. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a. Uh, at what point, I guess you were saying that you started to come out. What, uh, how did that, uh, transition in your, in your thirties so, uh, after the book or what were there? Well, did the I mean, book that was open a, that, more doors. I think the book opened more doors. Like I definitely had begun percolating on the whole idea mm-hmm. that hmm, maybe my adoption does have something to do with this. Surprise, surprise. Um, But it wasn't, it definitely was not in the forefront. I mean, it was certainly something that I pushed back on, you know, subconsciously for a very long time. Um, But after my son, my first son was born, it was sort of right around the same time that blogging was becoming popular and like the internet was blowing up. And I had luckily just the timing wise, met like some really incredible folks online and was blogging as a creative person and as a mom, like just trying to find community. And I think Nathan, as you talk about like, you know, existing in boxes and trying to figure out who you are or like blending in, like that for me was sort of like the first time of like trying to push the envelope a little bit in terms of like trying to define myself outside of any boxes And I had no practice of that other than like, again, like leaving this path of like going to college and doing the the path of that everybody does. Uh, But for the most part, I was still very much in that like must conform, (laughs) must assimilate, like must be like everybody else type mindset um, that I think we all have to some degree. But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, transracial adoptees especially. Um, and it really helped me like have a voice and explore my own desires, wants, needs, interests in a way that I had never done before. And like share 
in a way that just felt so vulnerable, even though it was like a tiny little blog that probably had like 10 readers and we like just read each other's blogs and liked (laughs) each other's blogs. But it was like so revolutionary that like I could connect with these other people who had like these similar creative interests and that, you know, we could delve together in, in together and like talk about making things. But what really was happening is we were figuring out who we were together as a community and I did that for many, many years in, in, in such a way that it eventually evolved into work for me. Um, that what became my path. Like I became an artist, a creative and an entrepreneur um, and eventually an activist because of, you know, those early blogging days and the communities that I met and then learning to build a community and learning to break boxes. And I did it, I think, in a lot of ways, just publicly on my blog and on my platforms just deconstructing these different aspects of my identity first as a creative person and as a mother and sometimes weaving in some of my adoption story, but not often. And then, you know, really bumping up against, you know, my identity as a queer person and as someone who also like existed a lot of intersections in terms of um, being, just in a non-normative family and, you know, a lot of different things. And so I think little by little, it was this practice of, you know, learning how to exist outside of what people expect you to be in these normative boxes. And then, you know, really claiming identities on my own terms, like identities as artist or as activist or as, you know, queer or as, um, you know, and then eventually I think the hardest was and has been and like where I've come to is like really just understanding my Korean American Asian identity, which, you know, I really understand now as, you know, how that's so confronting because to really step into fully into an Asian American or in our Korean identities is to really other ourselves from every other person in our lives. And that is terrifying. And it's been really tricky. It's been tricky to navigate, but I think having all this practice of like really speaking to, writing about, building community around, creating work about, and um, processing with others, all these other different intersectional identities of mine has given me the ability to like learn, articulate, um, understand, and really like have the capacity now to really just integrate all those parts, including my Asian and Korean identity that is amazing yeah i love that i have a question to follow but up but also nathan are nathan, you still there <laughs> i'm here but my video right, you just read screen yeah, yeah good. i don't know right, what's going on yeah, we just right. need your audio you're good yeah. you're good he's running an old computer it's working really hard right now i can hear the, the fan <laughs> fan blowing and i was hoping it wasn't being picked up on the microphone <laughs> <laughs> I don't need the fan, but yeah. Um, I really loved hearing you talk about that, that finding the blog and finding community within the blog space. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering, was there a, was there a moment that you remember that it just clicked for you? Like, these are my people or this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like we talk about KJ talks a lot about like finding our people. I feel like that's a language you use a lot. And I feel like that's what we've been for me, it's what we've been doing uh, in like the Instagram space that you see, like the social media space. But for you to be in that space in the early internet days of blogging, I was wondering if there was that, if you had that moment or if it was just really that whole period 
uh, of being in community, like you said, with those 10 or so people um, that that was just like, yep, this these are this is my group and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yes, absolutely. One hundred percent. Like it was the first, I think, experience of belonging that I had that I probably ever was created for myself Mm. rather than like having to step into someone else's space and feel like, do I belong? Like it was really um, for me an experience of like creating my own belonging. And I feel like since then I've been on this really long and really complex trajectory of really understanding what belonging is and what I thought probably back then of what belonging was is probably really completely different to how I'm thinking about belonging now. And it's really interesting because I think belonging in the culture that we live in right now um, is really divisive. Like it really Mm. silos us into these different subcultures uh, which I think can be pretty problematic, but that's not to say that I I don't believe that you know the experience of like affinity and sharing space with people who have your same lived experience isn't super important. I think it really is, especially to those people looking for healing and any kind of resolution in their story. But I think you know there is a danger of really like being cordoned off and really um, over identifying into these specific facets of ourselves Mm -hmm. where it feels we have the expectation that oh like we're all Korean adoptees we should all get along and because we're you know we share this identity but no it's never going to be like that because we're so widely different in every other way so it's like just because you have this one area of shared belonging doesn't mean that you necessarily belong and and I think it's a false ideology I really believe that the idea the way we understand belonging in this current Western late capitalism culture where like belonging is something that people sell. They use it as leverage to create space, you know, to create spaces that you have to pay to get into and things like that. Whereas like, I've really thought about belonging, like the way Koreans think about belonging, like Jong Mm -hmm. and how like, that's just like essential. That just is, that's not something that you need to strive for or buy your way into or get initiated to. It just is. Um, And that really like for me, like had me think about like, wow, like that's, that's the kind of belonging, like as human beings, like we should all be working towards, not just about sharing identities, but, you know, I do think it is important to acknowledge our different identities for sure. Yeah. It's kind of the, the paradox of group identity and and personal identity right that group identities can feel so important but group and group identities like they have this thing like there's like they're naturally gatekeepery and so like you have to have gatekeepers and so you either have to conform into the box of the group identity or they kick you out right. and that's i mean that just it is how it is and yeah. yet like you're like okay well but i want to bring my uh, personally now, KJ, in 2022, I want to be able to bring 100% of myself into whatever box I find. Yes. And like, yes. just be okay with that and be okay with how many other boxes I'm bringing into those spaces where early days KJ was like, oh, well, this is my box and it only matches about 67% of who I am, <laughs> but I'm going to go ahead and make that 100% of who I am. You know, yeah. and, and yeah. so it does like, it creates a thing. And, and I love listening to you like with the blogging and, and things, but I heard you say, 
Um, I spent a lot of time trying to find my box and then eventually forgot all of that. And just, it was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make my own box. I'm going to break some boxes even. And I think it, it requires that necessity. It's, it's something that I think about often, um, with music, uh, specifically between Mozart and Beethoven, like Mozart had a particular framework in the classical style. And he was just like a genius at it. Like he was a master at operating in the style and Beethoven. And then later on Debussy, they were like, but do we even need those things? And for me, I have never been a box breaker. And even in trying to find my own voice as a creative and, and figure things out, like I'm, I'm creating things that are for me and, and I sometimes I give them away and be like, maybe this will help somebody else. But I'm curious what the process has been for you as a creative. A, what is your particular creative means of choice at the moment? And then B, what's that process been like of finding boxes, fitting into boxes, breaking boxes in terms of shaping your identity now? Wow. Okay. Simple question. (laughs) (laughs) So as a creative, like I think of myself, of my medium as really multimodal, like, um, like as a quote unquote artist, and I'm not like a trained artist or obviously someone who went to school for art. Um, I am someone who uses art as a means of expression. It's a process. It's a modality for me. And it's a connection for me. Creativity is all about connection. So whatever I build with my creativity, even though it looks like like I'm either making collages or a mixed media painting or I'm you know hosting a class around those things, really what I'm aim- my aim to do is not to teach how to make things. It is really to build and create connection. Mm. And so that's what I've always used my creativity for. Um, and in that space, it really intersects with sort of like the wellness space, which is I found myself in a lot along my creative journey which has um, been, you know, both beneficial and also really complicated to navigate. Um, there's a lot of, you know, tricky things in the quote unquote wellness community, um, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always like really for myself, creativity and making things has always been a way for me to um, think through and process my own thoughts, feelings, experiences, and then sharing that in space with others has been a way for me to connect with them. And I think that also, um, as to the second part of your question, KJ, is that it really also in community has helped me expand on my own awareness and understanding because, um, you know, I think it's really true that you can't really heal in a vacuum. Mm. So you, you have to heal in relationship. And so, with my creative process and all the projects that I work on, I'm really building relationship and I'm just learning. I'm learning for other, from other humans. I'm learning from interactions and experiences and, you know, just using my creativity either as a container for that or as a way to you know share and collaborate and create expression around that. That's really awesome. I love that you talk about, I love that creative. your creativity is an ex- extension of you. It is who you are. And then that feeds into um, the connections that you want to create, um, which leads to healing, which is a, all plays into healing. And it all is part of one fluid, amorphous situation that we have going on that I really, really enjoy. And I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm doing healing, just hearing and being able to sit in on this conversation. Um, <laughs> and so like for adoptees specifically, healing in community, I think is very important. And I think there are a bunch of different things that go into healing um, and how all of these things come together. And I think part of that is 
if possible, finding your way back to your country of origin, which for us is Korea. Um, one, it's just a powerful connection. Not everybody gets to go, but people who do get to go, uh, you know, it, it, it established that link. Or at least, if, if not establishes, it reestablishes it um, from from the severed piece or the severed cord tie that w- was that happened upon our adoptions. So I was hoping that you could share a little bit about your first trip back to Korea because you shared about it in your guest form. And I feel like it was a really, it seemed really incredible story. So I was just hoping you share a little bit about that and how that played a part in your healing or what part it played in that healing. Yeah. So the timeline for that was like really around that same time where I, I had just found the whole blogosphere and, um, you know, it was blowing my mind that, you know, just <laughs> there was this virtual community the out internet. there, right? <laughs> like, oh my God, this thing, the, this WWW thing is just amazing. Bob, get out the phone. <laughs> Wait, were you on MySpace too? <laughs> I missed MySpace, oh. so. <laughs> but, um Yeah. So I was like just fresh into that. And I had just um, been a new mom. So my son was um, just under a year. And we had a friend who was teaching Korean, I mean, teaching American in Korea as, you know, as a teacher for doing like one of those like two year, three year programs. Um, He was Canadian and he actually he was there for a couple of years. So he said, you should come. You should totally come. He's like, I've I've been here for like a year. I can speak a little bit of the language. I can read like I can get you around like you should totally come. (laughs) And. Of course, I'm thinking like, but I'm, I can't go to Korea. I just had a baby. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> what about my child? <laughs> but everybody's like, no, you should totally go. You don't know if you're going to get this chance again. And um, and we at the time, luckily, we were like in between houses, my husband and I, and so we were living with my parents, which you know was a blessing in many many ways. And this was one of them. So they were just like, we'll take care of Owen, and you go do your thing. And wow. Which meant I had to go alone, which was, you know, probably the best way for me to go for the first time. And it was like so quickly decided upon, like it really was not something that I like had planned and like really thought about. And it was just like, I'm here. You're, I got invited. I'm like, okay, I'll go. I'll buy a (laughs) ticket. It was just like happened really fast. So I think that was actually really helpful as well. But from the, Point I was where I was on my adoptee journey. Like I just had no sense of like wanting to do a birth search or wanting to learn about Korean culture or even like I just didn't know anything. Mm. So I'm like, I'm a total tourist. I'm like, I'm super psyched to go to Korea, go hang out with Jeff and eat Korean food <laughs> and like see the lay of the land. And I do remember thinking like, I do, I want to know if if I when I land in Korea, if it smells familiar. Like that was Mm -hmm. like my big thing. Like, I know I probably won't remember anything because I was only 10 months when I was adopted, but like, I wonder if like the smell or something will jog my memory and it didn't, but like that was, that was sort of like, (laughs) 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 that was sort of like my one thing I was like, maybe thinking a little bit about, but other than that, I was just really just open to the experience of experiencing Korea. And in that I was only there for like 10 days, which Mm. It's long enough, but not very long to fly all that way. 
And um, a lot of the time I was kind of on my own because my friend Jeff was teaching during the day. So I had to kind of like navigate things a little bit, although he would like draw me maps and give me directions as best he could. And I did pretty well. And luckily, um, I had some pretty positive experiences, like interacting with Korean people. I had my hair cut while I was in Korea by the, for the first time by like another Asian lady, which was like really great. And, you know, just wandered around the Korean countryside and like took in the sights and the sounds and the smells. And of course, like it, it did, you know, touch upon the nostalgia and the idea of like, wow, this is like could have been my life and just imagining that like ghost world, which that's new language for me too. Um, <laughs> that ghost world of like, I wonder like I could be walking down the street and passing, you know, a relative. Um, so I was more in the space of like wonder. I think that was the safest space for me to inhabit mm-hmm. at that time. I think it was too scary and volatile to really, um, think about going further. But what I did know is that at the end of my trip, I wanted to stop at an orphanage and leave a donation. And I thought that'll be like the thing that will make this trip meaningful for me as a Korean adoptee. And um, I'll do it like on my way out. So so if I have some feelings about all of it, I'll be able to like process at at home. Um, And so I did that. So we, um, on the last two days of my trip there, we hung out in Daegu and um, internet cafes were like the big thing. I don't know if they're still big there now, but that's where you went to go use a computer. So I just like hopped into this internet cafe, like pulled up like the yellow pages online and did this like eeny meeny. There's like five orphanages nearby. I'll pick one and I'll go. And so I did that. I picked an orphanage. It was called the White Lily Orphanage. Um, my friend Jeff and I jumped in a cab and we went there and of course nobody spoke very good Korean um, English and the Korean nuns who were running the facility were just super kind. And I'm sure like I wasn't the first Korean American adoptee to show up on their doorstep. (laughs) (laughs) They seem like they've been through this drill before, um, but just very, very, very kind and just like showed me around and, um, told me as much as they could a little bit about the history of that orphanage and that, um, it was an orphanage, but now it was like a children's home or a children's, like a daycare maybe facility or, Mm. or something. So it wasn't, they weren't housing orphans any longer. Um, and we use that term orphan very loosely, right? Right. Um, and I like, like pulled out from my wallet as much Korean cash as I had left, you know, on my last day and said, you know, I just wanted to leave this with you and, you know, just thank you for everything you've done for the, you know, Korean adoptees. And, and, um, they took my Korean name and my information I figured they were going to like write me a thank you note or something. (laughs) Um, And so I get home back to Boston and about five, four or five months later, I get this package from Korea. I'm like, what the heck is this? And I open it and it's from the orphanage. And it was from the nuns who I had visited with, with that day had gone into their records to see who I was, if I had been there. And I, I was, I, it was the orphanage that I wow. had stayed at. Um, and they had pulled my records and sent them to me. Wow. That and is so wild. <laughs> it's so wild. Literally like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Yeah. Oh, I was oh, here. <laughs> X yeah. Of years ago. 
Yep. Wild. And I mean, part of me now thinks like I must have subconsciously sort of known or heard that name before or whatever, but um, it just felt like I was like, oh my God, that was like so crazy. Mm-hmm. And here I was now with this file and I didn't open it for like 10 years. Like I oh, opened dang. it and looked through it like really quickly when I got it, but I didn't deal with it. Like I really didn't deal with it for many, 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 many years later. It was like really, really so intense. And just, I wasn't ready in my early thirties. It took me till much later to start thinking about going down that path. Was most of it in Korean? Oh yeah. That most, most of it, (laughs) except for maybe little bits and pieces. And I think, um, you know, and I had also no understanding of like the Korean documentation and how they yeah. created mm-hmm. a lot of those forms. And so I had no idea what I was looking at. And of course, I didn't know anybody Korean who would even maybe potentially be able to translate these or yeah. how to find someone. So I just like put them safely in a box to like TV, <laughs> TV like another <laughs> day. Yeah, this is my yeah. eventually plan. This is for future Mindy. Future <laughs> right. Mindy will handle this. Yeah, I think I have some too that I've never translated actually. So yeah. Mm. So I have since then, in the past couple of years, have begun, you know, delving into that package and and going on that search. And it's been really interesting. Um, I think one thing that I did have in my in my history was that the place that I was relinquished was well documented. And so I was able to Mm. connect um, it wasn't the orphanage that I was at. Actually, the orphanage I was at ended up being a second location, which I didn't know. But I was dropped off at this one orphanage and they were full. Um, and so they had taken me to the police station. And the girl who actually was tasked with taking me to the police station, I was given her name. So that's how I got my assigned my Korean name, which mm. is interesting. And um, the police station brought me to the White Lily Orphanage in Daegu, which is where I ended up on my visit. So I didn't even know about like the first place or the second place that I was in multiple um, orphanages and um, and then later learned that I was also in foster care. But, you know, I was able to speak to the they had records still the very first place I was dropped off of the day that I was uh, relinquished, which was really, really fascinating. But um, not a very strong paper trail, so mm. fortunately, not a lot to go on. <laughs> well, that's—I mean—that just is a wild story to hear all of that, and, and <laughs> to think that that was the place that you had been and um, make that connection. Uh, I did have one question I wanted to ask about uh, just kind of some of your current work and your activism that you've been doing. Um, I think one of the ways I actually uh, found you, of course, was uh, during um, an adoption month last November during NAM. And I remember, you know, your little post of uh, all the prompts of each day and using that. And I really appreciated that. So I have, number one, I want to say thank you for that. That um, that was amazing. Oh, KJ just, just made the made connection, that connection that that was yours. <laughs> <It's> like, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah, you really, you really right. helped Nathan. Uh, Come out of his shell when for, it comes to sharing a story. Really? Yeah. yeah. No, wow. that was the, that was the most I've ever posted continuously uh, on social media about my adoption. So uh, thank you for that. But it, I just what I guess started that. What prompted you to create that list and um, um, your own activism through Instagram and other things that you've been doing? 
So interestingly enough, like that sort of like prompt type post is something that's pretty common in the creative world, like um, in a lot of different mediums, like mm-hmm. you'll see like monthly, like photography, photography prompts or yeah. 300 things to write about. It's a pretty, um, I think, well used kind of way to, you know, sort of spark uh, engagement. And for me, like it was only the second time I had known about Nam. The first time was, you say Nam or Nam? We say whatever. Dealer's <laughs> choice. I think it's Nathan always choice. says. I think nom. we've gone back and I forth, nom. honestly. I so. But I just every. I think because it's Nathan, I'm just like, yeah, Vietnam. <laughs> oh yeah, you always say that. You do always make that. Back when I was in Nam. <laughs> um, I just I wanted a way for myself to like to be able to have a conversation. Like it's 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 such personal and complex storytelling or information sharing that I just needed a framework, like to be able to drop into being a part of NAM in any way. Like I, for myself, like I just needed some kind of guidepost and I knew I probably wouldn't write every day. Um, even though it was my, they were my own prompts. I just (laughs) wanted to offer that as a framework if somebody else, you know, if it inspired them in some way too. And I'm glad it did. And I know I've heard from other people too, that it was like, you know, it wasn't so great for them. Like it made them feel like it put a lot of pressure on (laughs) some people like feeling like they should be sharing. And um, I hope that, you know, and this is true, like for any kind of thing that I think we share on social media, like there's, there's never a metric of like, success or like you have to do it one way that was just really my way of engaging Mm -hmm. and if it inspired or or helped other people engage as well like I'm really happy about that yeah I think everyone takes it differently some people might take prompts as as a pressure to do it others will take it as maybe a needed pressure to do it like like I did so um I, I like direction and I like organization I like um, hey, like, just tell me what to do. I'll just do tell it. me what to do and I'll do it. <laughs> just tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, Very yeah. much so. Like, uh, I, I definitely, um, the idea of just like kind of trying to be like, oh, how do I navigate this month? It's like so many thoughts, emotions, like things coming at you, um, you know, on the interwebs. I just wanted a, a nice, tidy way to be able to like say what I want to say, what I have the bandwidth and the capacity to say, and then just be like, you know, peace out from there. But it was really wonderful because I connected with so many adoptees that I hadn't connected with before um, and not just Korean adoptees. So, like, I think it was mostly positive. And I hope um, that maybe I'll try to do something like that again this year. Well, I think something that's really incredible is just knowing that you came in at the blog space and now you have transitioned to this point of seeing seeing adoptees like come from the fringes in that and at that point and now coming out of the woodwork to really share you know i think we're part of that we're part of that group absolutely. Um, and i think it's absolutely incredible um yeah. and we're gonna get ready to transition over to food to our snack here um Yay. and i only am saying this uh because it has been an absolute honor to hear just the, even this part of your story. And I feel mm-hmm. like even from your guest forum specifically, there's so much more that I would really love to dig into at some point. And I want to just right now open invite you back onto the show for part two <laughs> here in the near yeah. future, because there's so much more 
um, that I want to talk about. I feel like you, I feel like I'm on a similar path that you were on. And I feel like I want to learn a lot from you. And I feel like there's a lot that not only are you teaching me, but you're teaching our audience, um, especially um, not just the adoptees who listen to the show, but our allies, our families, our friends, people like that in our, in our communities that are hearing this. I think it's really important that they hear all of the work that you've been doing as well and hear that full story, just as we want to share everyone's full story. But I just want to hop on and say that really quickly. Um, and yeah, we definitely have to have you back. Um, so thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably um until we get to this point and we will definitely be back for part two but right to now be continued we're gonna yes, have to that kick. sounds fun and call me anytime patrick we can commit yes we absolutely <laughs> are gonna it's have to do very reasonable that. rate it's like 250 an hour so. <laughs> that sounds rate? creepy or mindy's rate <laughs> no it's for the for this coaching it's great oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right yeah, yeah. i'm paying you the two patrick was yeah patrick was like for the I, phone call no no, no. <laughs> no for the coaching session no for you to be a guest you didn't you didn't know that you had to pay us 250 to be a guest, <laughs> on, the be a guest on the show yeah i missed that part I yeah, missed that part. yeah all right well we anyways um yeah so we are gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back with some food with mindy Ooh. sonus joy roll it Welcome back to the John Chi Show eating portion with Patrick Mokja. laughing like always. I don't know. And putting <laughs> couldn't even his, hear me laughing that time. Putting his I sunglasses on could. inside. The He's, sun is bright in my eyes. He is okay. He is getting ready to be cool while he eats his snack. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, what are you saying? I'm cool. not cool all the time? Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, no comment. Ouchie. Got him. Mindy. Like I say words like ouchie. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for that great interview. As we said, we can't wait to have you back um, and maybe have another snack. But for today, we have a very interesting rice roll snack that I'm a little curious how you guys will think of it because the one you have is banana flavor. The one I have is is a plain flavor. Um, do you guys, does it uh, say the, the brand on on the front? Yes, Nong the brand. Hyuk. Yeah, Nongkyuk. Okay. Uh, I've seen these many times before at the H Mart, and they're usually in huge containers where there's or packages where there's like thirty of them, or sometimes like you know twenty. So the ones that you have have like what ten or something in it? Yeah, maybe eight. Yeah, like something like that. But I had never seen banana flavor before, so I thought that was an interesting, uh, uh, unique twist on it. So. You guys will have to. It yeah, literally looks see. like, <laughs> and yeah, it looks not like a corn, corn like a, cob, like a, but it actually it, looks like corn pops, the cereal. <laughs> but it's like a, a cereal like a bird bar. feeder snack thing. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. And that's the thing. Like birds. The first thing I thought of when I saw it at the store was, yeah, like like bird feeder. Is this is this real food? Is this what I'm supposed to eat? But then, I mean, look at like is rice cakes. Food? Rice cakes are just flat discs that look like hockey pucks. That's true. Oh man, so, this smells like a laughing. Oh, that's a lot of banana. Is it? Yeah, it doesn't exactly. taste like banana. But it smells wow, like banana. It smells intense. Also, I just wanted to read this uh, ingredient statement. It says, so it's 100% Korean rice, which I have a comment on that as well. But it says, we use only rice and natural sweeteners, nothing else ever. That's our statement, and we're sticking with it. <laughs> That's our statement, like, and we're sticking to it? <laughs> how, do you, how do you get a banana flavor if you don't ever use any other ingredient, though? That's, what That's I incredible. Hmm. Well, the, the sweetness is the banana flavor, and so it's natural banana. 
sweetness, I would assume. Uh, yeah, okay. it, it definitely it, tastes like a cylinder rice cake. To me. Yeah, but it all, Wait, doesn't you, even what, taste what like banana. It just smells like? like banana. I mean, it just I can taste the really corn. Smell like banana. But it okay, smells so, like banana. Oh, huh. Like I usually don't like banana tasting things, but this is pretty good. Yeah, I Not agree because sometimes banana flavoring is too artificial. Yeah, I, it's like I completely really agree. fake. Yeah. And I don't even really like bananas. I mean, I oh. do eat them. <laughs> <It does>. All <laughs> right, this, that bite did taste like a banana. Maybe it gets more banana as you get to the middle. It's got like a banana center. I really it's, like the okay, shape, Well, though. I'll tell you right now, it's the exact same thing on the outside. Okay. <laughs> Just oh, yeah. more corn pops stuffed together. Pops. By the way, I only have two of these left because I had a package of like 20 and my kids ate them all really, really quickly. So Mm. they love them. They're great. Like hand, I like how like the shape is really good just for like handheld snacking. Mm -hmm. It's very So Nathan, you have a regular flavor or? Yeah, mine's just normal. It doesn't have any flavoring. It has a little sweetness to it. I kind of wish that mine was just a normal flavor. Okay. Well, you can go to the store. (laughs) Do they come in savory flavors too? I I didn't see. Are they all sweet? I didn't see a savory flavor. Yeah, Actually, like most of the time, I just saw regular, plain, no flavor. So that's why the banana one that you have is is kind of stood out to me as something different. But that's interesting. Yeah, I've never seen anything like spicy or. But there That'd might be. be. Good too. I don't know. I could check the interwebs. I like it. It's good. This does seem ripe for like a sundubu flavor. Yeah. That's weird, man. It is weird. I don't like it. I feel like I'm inhaling essence of banana. I actually don't <laughs> want another one right now. This like is not, not normal. Bad, it's not bad I, snack. It's not because, yeah. I don't know what I think it's if I were to close my eyes, it would feel like I was eating a crunchy, crusty banana, which is real gross. <laughs> it's really gross. As a Korean rice snack, that's great. As a banana, that's awful. So. <laughs> yeah, I do it's wish it was a different flavor. Yeah. So like there you go. I dragon guess dragon breath and banana. Not, not banana. I feel like it made me short of breath now, actually. That yeah, that kind of I got of, nervous. I it's a weird <laughs> I don't like nervous? snacks that make me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Scary snacks. <laughs> well, I will continue to buy these because, you know. Kids like them. My kids They're like good them. For kids. I think and, I think yeah. my kids would like this. Oh. You know what it is? It's like banana flavor with a hint of uh, like that double bubble bubble gum. Oh, sure. I have the bubble gum aftertaste now that you say Mm -hmm. that, and I'm furious. (laughs) I did not want that in my mouth. Do you not like bubble gum? I do, but that's not what I want in my mouth right now. It's like too sweet. That's what it is. Uh, Wow. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I I do feel like I need to breathe. Right? <laughs> I've never had COVID, but I wonder if that's what this feels like. I just feel like my <laughs> okay. That's, that's not a bad that's my, misinformation. Yeah, now my, you're <laughs> my lungs tightened up. Poor advertising me. there. <sighs> <sighs> that's how I feel. Maybe it means I'm just horribly out of shape. I don't know. <laughs> you're eating a rice cake. I mean, this should be kind of healthy for you, honestly. <laughs> Compared to some of the no, snacks the rice we've is had, great. It's the it's the banana. <laughs> oh yeah, the banana part of artificial banana is what's banana. killing you. Yeah, it's a good shape for like it needs a dip or something. <laughs> Not dip it's... it in yogurt or. Oh yeah, I was thinking cream. dip, a dip mm. for sure. It's like definitely a, a dipping sauce. I know vehicle. 
Patrick would like the chocolate hot fudge. Just dip this in the not with oh, this. Yeah. If it was chocolate flavored, for sure. That'd you don't get down with chocolate chocolate banana. Chocolate rice cakes are great, by the way. Not this, but not this banana. Okay, Maybe like an like actual it, it banana. Would, it would be like a banana split. But oh yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, maybe I if you crush this up on some ice cream with chocolate. Yeah. Uh, I could, yeah, I could get down with that. Why don't we just crush right. this up and put some milk on it and call it Rice Krispies cereal? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, okay, let's get into ratings. Mindy, why don't you kick us off? How many bananas out of five do you give this <laughs> Korean rice snack? I, like, as an idea of a snack... And- <laughs> <laughs> I like I really want to like it like it it mm. feels good to me happy friendly but like the taste <laughs> the banana it's taste a friendly snack <laughs> it does it looks friendly it, it looks like hey come over here eat me it wants me it wants me to like it but I just yeah. I'm not in love with it I'm gonna give it a two. Oh, <laughs> okay. okay um Nathan what about your non-banana flavored Korean rice snack which I didn't even read the Korean the Korean on this well, it's called Crunchy Rice Rollers by Nunghyup, and it's Sargangjong. I don't know if that's like Nunghyup's brand or if that's just Korean rice snack or Crunchy Rice Roller, but Sargangjong is what it's called. How is your unflavored mm. Sargangjong? Unflavored is like I said, like a rice cake. I give it a, I'll give it a. I'd eat it again. Four out of five. My kids, would give, my kids would give it a five out of five. I think. All right. So yeah, I, I would eat it again. I, I like it. It's it actually wasn't as messy as i expected it to be to be as well it kind of held together fairly uh, it is, firm yeah that's yeah, definitely it good. is yeah. solid solid so, snack so i have to give it the a little that bit higher rating for that, so yeah understandable i'm giving it a two as well <laughs> i feel like the banana is just overpowering in the wrong ways mm-hmm. like and yeah i think i want to try another flavor and the rice part is good rice the rice is, is the, the rice part is what gives it the two stars or the two bananas. Um, we'll have to try another one. Well, I'll have to try the regular try the one. I want to try yep. that. And then All I want right. to try the regular dipped in chocolate. <laughs> I'll try to look to see if there's new flavors. I um, I stand by my per- previous statement where I feel like I'm eating a crunchy banana, <laughs> which I don't know. Like when I finished it, I was like, oh, I feel like I just ate a banana, which is pretty impressive. Because I do I feel say, like I did just eat a banana. Like, I will say eating a banana gives me a similar like mouth scent throat vibe thing mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. so they really n- nailed the natural banana flavor i don't like this uh, <laughs> I, it's it's too the weight diameter of the cylinder is too large so i like <laughs> feel like i have to open my jaw too far yeah well we gotta and, do that wide mouth this is a yeah, wide yeah, mouth. So fun fun open not up. so fun whatever factoid about me uh there's a point at which uh, to open my jaw fully it like unhinges a little bit like a snake mm, yeah and then like pops closed <laughs> oh again. yeah yeah no, okay. mine does that so yeah it's not great so i don't like mm, don't when do I have that. To, and this sits right at the cusp of like maybe it's gonna do that maybe it's not so it's just like it's an unfortunate diameter for these cylinders to have overall i think it's well made but i can't get behind the flavor i'm gonna give this uh i'm gonna give it a two i thought about giving it a 1.5 yeah, i, five, I, I, but you I am eating a, a second one but <laughs> so i'm gonna give it a two because i'm eating a second one but not not great not terrible but not great we went I'm from curious though what you have to say you said you had something to say about the korean rice hmm oh yeah you did 100 percent so, korean rice yeah yeah i've been thinking about this in pachinko the tv show the Korean rice 
It's like a minor thing. They they eat Korean rice and they're like, wow, in Japan. And they're like, wow, this is so good. And now I'm like, can I taste the difference between rices from different places? I cannot. But it just that made me think of it. And I was like, oh. I'm like, only at the part in the book where you're learning that they the access to rice is very not existent. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's not even I don't know that it's she's trying to get it for the, for a wedding. Yeah, I don't know that it's for a celebration, about in, I guess. In the book, I think it's just like a thing for the show, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I was just so then I was like, I wonder if that's a selling point, and if that's some just like kind of post-war, post-colonizing, whatever, or if that's just like, oh yeah, it's cool. It's one hundred percent green rice. Support the Hamingook. You know, I don't know. Anyways, not imported, all. I guess. Um, I did uh, it's find imported through <clears throat> Australia. It oh, comes to okay. us. It goes. Korea, Australia, and then California. Ah. I don't know why it doesn't just come straight over, but yeah. So I found another flavor uh, online. Oh. There's one that's being that's being sold at uh, Walmart actually by <laughs> Bamboo. Um, it's but bamboo it is a, flavored. It, no, the name of the <laughs> oh. company is Bamboo Crunchy Rollers, uh, whatever. But it's called Crunchy Rollers. Uh, it is mixed berry flavor, so it actually has like little pieces of mixed berry nope. within the rice. So don't sound so excited. To I don't try know. That. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'll try it. So happy I'm going to try it for that. my kids. Hey, <laughs> trust me, like my Captain kids are Crunch running out of snacks. So. Yeah, that's a Captain Crunch knockoff. <laughs> yeah, Walmart. I will, I will let you guys know how that one is. That is or hilarious. Yeah, we'll have to revisit that at yeah. some point. But that's funny. Mindy, thank you again for a great interview today. Um, where can people find you online uh, where you would like to be found? <laughs> so you can find me just at my main Instagram, which is my name, Mindy Sonis Choi. Um, you can find me at the Be Seen Project, which is one of my art and activism programs. Um, and yeah, that's really where I'm hanging out these days. Awesome. Hanging out with the IG crew. So. <laughs> It's just Thank blogging, you. blogging 2.0, basically. That's right. Yeah, it, yeah. Is. it really is. It's square really blogging. Is. It's back to the squares again. Oh, no, we're back to the squares. Blogging. Fitting in squares. <laughs> oh, wow. I was like, what are you talking about? We're back yeah. to the squares again. Sorry, Sorry that's, a, that's a stretch. Back to the interview. I yeah. know, I know. Oh, it's I a stretch you. of it. You get it. Okay. This well, was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I have to at least have one bad joke per <laughs> show. <laughs> I think you might be the first guest who's experienced the, the soundboard. The soundboard. I love it. In real time, I like that. <laughs> That's funny. Perfect. Well, Are you, you can not find us, ask? I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> John Chi Show uh, at uh, all places. We don't places. want it to end. Uh, John Chi Show at Just Like Media. If you want to send us at justlikemedia.com, if you want to send us an email. <laughs> Patrick has a phone number, which I uh, I never really remember. Yeah, okay. You can send us a voicemail if you want. If you go back to our previous solo episode, you can hear us uh, play a voicemail, our first one on the show. It was a really great conversation. Thank you so much to the caller. <laughs> More like um, an audio clip. Uh, you can, well, conversation if you want, from the voicemail. Yeah, the conversation <laughs> yeah. from the voicemail. It's like we had a conversation um, with the audio clip? <laughs> go back and listen to the episode. You'll know. Um if you do want to leave us a message, uh, you can call us at 972-677-8867 and leave us that message. Again, you can also send us an email if you'd rather do it in the written form to johnchyshow at justlikemedia.com. If you want to support the show, you can go to johnchyshow.com backslash support or just go to the website. I think there's multiple ways that you can get there. 
Um, if you are so inclined, we would love it if you go onto Apple or Spotify and leave us a rating and or review. Uh, really helps exposure for the show, and we just really appreciate the support. Um, if you want to find me, you can reach me on Instagram at Patrick in the World. I am on Instagram as nnowak. And you can find me at KJ Roki, wherever I want to be found on the internet. Mindy, thank you again so much. It was, man, it was a good conversation. Can't wait to have you back. Yeah. Can't you wait so to much. have you back. I'm excited to come back. You guys yeah. are so much fun. Yeah. Thank you. You are um, so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, for bringing your whole self to the conversation. Until next week, dear listeners, John Chi. Hey, yo!